Welcome, this is Michael Volkoff, and this is episode 118 of Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Our episode today is an update on OFAC enforcement actions and lessons learned. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining me today on Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Hope everybody had a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, Before we get started, two points. First, please subscribe to our podcast and rate the podcast to help let other compliance professionals know about it. Second, I wanted to mention that my law firm, the Volkoff Law Group, provides assistance and counseling on compliance with uh, OFAC regulations, Department of Commerce Export Administration regulations, and State Department ITAR regulations. We assist companies in reviewing specific transactions, implementing effective compliance programs, and responding to agency requests for information or to an enforcement action. We have helped a number of companies to conduct voluntary disclosures, audits, and internal investigations as necessary. We are very familiar with existing sanctions programs involving Iran, Cuba, Russia, Venezuela, and other countries. If interested in our trade compliance services, please contact me at mvolkov at volkovlaw.com. Well, uh, hope everyone, as I mentioned, had a good holiday. Uh, I wanted to catch up on a couple of OFAC um, enforcement actions, which are very interesting and continue to demonstrate that OFAC means it when they say they're going to enforce sanctions uh, and that they expect uh, elevation of your sanctions compliance programs. Uh, And uh, I think as we go through these, you'll see uh, you'll see that uh, they mean business in connection with uh, some of these sanctions enforcement actions that have just occurred. There are two that I wanted to go over. The first is uh, Apple, uh, the famous Apple company, uh, agreed to pay $467,000 to OFAC for sanctions violations involving uh, the foreign narcotics kingpin sanctions regulations. Uh, this is basically a part of the uh, SDNs are specially designated nationals. But uh, this goes to show you that even the mighty, uh, like Apple, can fall. Uh, and here, uh, what happened is actually kind of interesting in terms of looking at how we screen parties and making sure that we are capturing all the necessary information. So what happened was in 2008, Uh, Apple entered into an app development agreement with SIS, uh, a Slovenian company. SIS and its director and majority owner, uh, Savo Stepanovic, were designated under the Foreign Narcotics Kingpin Designation Act. They were involved supposedly in, in drug trafficking. And they were added to the specially designated nationals list, the SDN list. Um, Apple's screening tool at the time failed to identify SIS and Stepanovich, uh, and according to Apple, its screening tool failed to match different uppercase and lowercase letters that appeared in Apple's system and the SDN list. Specifically, Apple claimed that its screening software failed to match the uppercase name SIS-DOO with the lowercase name 
S-I-S, small d, small o, small o. The term D-O-O is a standard corporate uh, suffix in Slovenia and identifies a limited liability company. But So the screen went in for a large case, and it turned out they didn't pick up the lowercase name, which was the way it appeared on the OFAC list. So two months after OFAC's designation of Stepanovich, Apple f- engaged in more transactions with, uh, the comp- with uh, this designated uh, entity, and they transferred a portion of SIS's uh, app- apps to a second software company, which several months later transferred the ownership of SIS's remaining applications to a third company. So the owner of the company substituted its banking information for payments, and in doing so, though, Apple failed to rescreen the parties to these transactions. Again, they, ha- they were involved in the second and the third ownership and the transfer of the Stepanovic uh, apps to these people, to these uh, two entities. Um, Apple acknowledged that the address in its system matched the address listed in the SDN designation, which usually, to me, is a good sign that you're talking about the same entity uh, or requires at least further investigation. Um, Apple also incorrectly listed Stepanovic as a, an account administrator rather than as a developer, and they only screened developers rather than account administrators. Uh, again, you can see all the cracks or all the cracks in the program here and why um, they failed to capture it, but particularly the large case versus the, the lower case. So Apple hosted a number of applications in its application store and allowed downloads and sales of the blocked SIS applications. They received payments from the application store users who downloaded the SIS applications and permitted SIS to transfer and sell its applications to two other developers and then remitted to SIS each month the revenues produced by the SIS applications. Apple discovered the violations in February 2017 when it upgraded its sanction screening tool. Apple's finance team immediately suspended payments to the SIS account. However, even after that, it took Apple multiple months to suspend payments to a third party that processed payments for SIS. So in total, Apple made 47 payments to SIS in violation of OFAC sanctions. They collected approximately $1.2 million over 54 months from customers who downloaded the SIS applications. Uh, Apple uh, voluntarily disclosed the matter and then promptly cooperated with OFAC requests for documents and further information. To remediate uh, the violations, Apple enhanced its compliance program and internal controls by increasing the role of the global export and sanctions compliance senior manager in the escalation and review process. Uh, Apple also reconfigured its primary sanction screening tool and instituted mandatory training for all employees on export and sanctions regulations. So I boiled this down. There are five lessons learned from the Apple enforcement action, obviously, is uh, let's go back to the sanctions compliance guidance that was issued on May 1st of 2019. 
and in there was a requirement to calibrate, test, and configure your screening technology, whatever it is. So make sure that it's capturing your risks, test it, and configure it. And if that had been done, uh, it's clear to me that they would have picked up lowercase versus uppercase. Uh, and that just doesn't seem like much of a, an excuse anyways. And frankly, OFAC is not very sympathetic if, if, at all to any sort of screening failures. It's sort of on you uh, to do that. And we saw that in last year's uh, uh, Cobham uh, Metallics case. Uh, the other lesson learned is to obviously update your screening software. Uh, Apple didn't update theirs or didn't in, you know, probably embrace a new technology till 2017. Uh, they also did not screen any and all transactions. Remember to screen any and all transactions. The two sales of the app uh, that they did to two other parties, they didn't rescreen at all uh, any of the parties, and maybe they would have caught it in that. Obviously, in calibrating your program, the fourth here is in, you have to ensure that the settings do not mask p potential violations or potential matches that you wouldn't see otherwise get. And finally, you have to apply it to all parties to transactions uh, in, in all parties to a company, to a customer, to a vendor, everybody. Uh, and here we, they didn't apply it to an administrator as opposed to a developer. And there's no rational reason for uh, distinguishing between those two. Uh, in that, so those are those are sort of my lessons learned from that, and I think uh, it's worth uh, taking a second look at that and seeing how it applies to your own uh, situation. Um, again, remember, go back to the OFAC guidance of May 2019. There are a lot of great ideas there. Uh, we've had uh, podcasts on it. I've done a webinar on it, which is on Volkoff Law TV. Uh, and, of course, we're always available to discuss any issues with you. But these are this is one case that's an important reminder on the uh, testing and your screening uh, software. So let's go to the second case that I wanted to talk about, which is uh, Apollo Aviation Group, which paid 210000 to OFAC for violations of the Sudanese sanctions program. Uh, Apollo Aviation Gro Group was acquired... Uh, after these violations occurred, but uh, was acquired by Carlisle Aviation Partners. Uh, and they agreed to pay OFAC $210,600 for 12 violations of the Sudanese sanctions program. Uh, Carlisle acquired Apollo in December 2018, and Carlisle, like I said, was not involved in the transactions. The broad prohibition in the Sudanese uh, sanctions program were lifted in, uh, on January 17, 2017, but the transactions occurred prior to the relaxation of the sanctions program. So uh, Apollo was a multi-strategy uh, aviation manager with extensive industry experience in sort of midlife commercial aviation uh, businesses. Apollo acquired, refurbished, and leased commercial jet aircraft, engines, and related assets. By the end of 2015, Apollo reported to have nearly $2.5 billion of aviation assets under management. So the, the transactions are pretty interesting, I think. Uh, in July 2013, Apollo leased 
two aircraft en engines to Company 1, which uh, is incorporated in the United Arab Emirates, which then subleased the engines to a Ukrainian airline, Company 2. And you can't make it up in terms of uh, another Ukrainian uh, interest here. Ukrainian airline, Company 2, which then installed the engines on an aircraft wet leased to Sudan Airways. A wet lease is an aviation leasing arrangement under which the lessor operates the aircraft on behalf of the lessee, with the lessor providing the crew, maintenance, insurance, and the aircraft itself. At the time of the transaction, Sudan Air fell within the definition of a specially designated national and was a government-owned uh, airline and therefore was part of the government of Sudan. Apollo's lease agreement with Company One, that's the one incorporated in the United Arab Emirates, contained a provision prohibiting the lessee from engaging in business with any country or individual subject to U.S. or U.N. sanctions. But Apollo took no steps to ensure that the aircraft engines were not used in violation of U.S. or U.N. sanctions. For example, Apollo did not obtain any certifications from the lessees and sub-lessees of compliance with U.S. export and sanctions laws. In addition, Apollo did not monitor or otherwise verify its lessees and sub-lessees' adherence to the lease provision requiring compliance with U.S. sanctions laws. Apollo only learned where its engines had actually been used after the engines were returned to Apollo at the end of the lease. So they had no idea in the chain of distribution where the, the engines were actually going. So in May 2015, Apollo delivered another engine to Company 1, which subleased the engine to Company 2, which installed the engine on an aircraft wet leased to Sudan Air. For a four-month period from May to September 2015, the engine was used by Sudan Air for flights to, from, and within the Sudan. Around the same time, engine records, including specific information regarding their use and destinations, were returned to Apollo. A post-leased review led to the discovery that the first two engines had been installed on an aircraft that Company 2 had leased to Sudan Air. Apollo then confirmed that the third engine was on an aircraft wet leased to Sudan Air, and then they demanded that Company 2 remove the engine. So in reaching the settlement, OFAC cited Apollo's failure to monitor or otherwise verify the use of its leased uh, engines during the life of the leases, and Apollo enhanced its compliance program by investing in additional compliance personnel and technology. Apollo improved its know-your-customer screening procedures, enhanced employee training on U.S. export law, and making employees aware of the screening process. And Apollo began obtaining U.S. law export compliance certificates from lessees and sub-lessees. So four lessons learned uh, that I wanted to point out from this uh, enforcement action. Um, here, the step of just including a contractual provision that required the lessee in this case um, to ensure compliance with any U.S. and U.N sanctions regulations was not sufficient uh, and obviously did not work um, in 
this situation. Uh, and what the expectation is is that just like any distribution chain, uh, you have to follow the chain and you have to get certifications along the way. So if you know that a product is going to go through a distributor, let's say to another sub-distributor, that you need to ensure uh, certifications along the way. That's why a lot of people, for example, will get end-use certificates. Where does it end up? Where does the product end up? And that could be for any manufacturing item. Uh, you know, if you make dishwashers and the dishwashers are going to go to Iran, you, you need to know in advance, you, you need to have a certification of who the end user is. This requires that you include robust uh, contractual provisions to flow down these requirements with regard to who the ultimate user is or where the, the specific item is going to go. Um, and here, people are uh, probably not doing as much as they should. And this is an, a reminder, the Apollo case is an important reminder, again, about the need to sort of follow the chain uh, akin to a distributor and secure certifications to make sure you know where your products are going and that they're not ending up in a prohibited person's uh, hands or a prohibited country. So... That's what you need. Uh, that's what's needed here, and uh, I think this was again an important reminder in terms of your distribution chain. Well, that's it for today. Just wanted to catch everybody up on OFAC, uh, some uh, enforcement actions. There's some good lessons learned here in terms of screening and in terms of uh, your distribution chain. Uh, these obviously apply to other circumstances, particularly dis distribution chain can apply to your supply chain and things like that in terms of securing appropriate certifications. But uh, these are important cases. Uh, it's important to monitor these. I think uh, particularly with increased uh, enforcement risks these days in the sanctions area. Thanks again for listening to Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Please subscribe to the podcast series. The Volkoff Law Group believes that every company should have a robust ethics and compliance program. Experience and research show that ethical companies are better performers in the global marketplace. At ethical companies, employees believe in the company, they feel vested, and are more productive. We can help you achieve these benefits through an effective ethics and compliance program. You can learn more about our law firm at... The website, www.volkofflaw.com, award-winning blog, Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, and, of course, our podcast series. You can always contact me at my email address, mvolkoff at volkofflaw.com. Let us know how we can help you achieve your goals. Dallas got a soft machine. Worth a dime
been staring out of the hotel window. Got a tip, they're gonna kick the door in again. I like to get some sleep before I travel. But if you got a warrant, I guess you're gonna come in. Busted down on Bourbon Street. Sit up like a falling pin. Knocked down, it gets to wearing thin. It just won't let you. Travel, get tired of traveling, you want to settle down. I guess I can't revoke your soul for trying. Get out of the door, light out and look all around. Sometimes the light's all shining on me, other times I can barely see. Trucking, I'm going 